Thank you for listening to this message from Rooted and Resolved. Bibles with me this morning, and let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 together. As we continue looking at this question, why church? Why, why are we here? Why do we gather on Sunday morning for church? Somebody, Pistol Pete Maravich fans, somebody remember Pistol Pete? Yeah, so um, Pistol Pete Maravich played um, college ball at LSU. And then was a Hawk, Hawks and the Jazz and the, and the Celtics in, in the 70s. And Pistol Pete was a little bit before my time, but uh, there was a movie about him that I used to love when I was little. There was a movie that they made about, his, about him and his boyhood or whatever. And, and um, so I kind of got that movie introduced me to Pistol Pete, I guess. And then I, you know, I, got a, I just I became a fan, you know what I mean? You just learn about him. And um, Pistol Pete died at, I think it was in the late 80s. He was playing basketball, but it was just a casual game. I think he played up until um, 1980 in the NBA, and then he was just playing just a casual pickup game and had a heart defect that he didn't know about nor did anybody else, and, um, and he died. But I'm telling you about Pistol Pete because there was this particular game when he was at LSU. Um, in uh, 1969, LSU played Tulane and and Pistol Pete scored 69 points in one game. It's incredible, like an incredible feat. It's not the Wilt Chamberlain 100, you know what I mean? But, the, but 69 points in a game, that's, that's pretty unbelievable. It's a pretty amazing performance. But what's also interesting about that game is not only what Pistol Pete did, but they lost that game. They lost that game 101 to 94, even though he scored 69 of those 94 points by himself, they lost. Moral of the story is, Pistol Pete was one guy. He was one guy, and he could not do it by himself. And as a Christian, you have not been called to be a lone ranger. None of us can do it successfully by ourselves. We are called to, to live our Christian life within a community of other Christians. That's what he presents for us in Scripture as an ideal, which is why we're looking at this um, thought together, why church? Why, why are we gathering for church and why is church important to be a part of a local body of believers? Now what we've done is, is that we started by looking at the church itself. The church is not an organization and it's not a building, it's an assembly of God's people. And so as we think about us being committed to God and committed to each other, that's important and it, the model is there in scripture. And then each week we've attempted to answer that question, why church? And, the, and, and we're looking at it sort of in relation to things because the answers vary, right? When you, when you think about uh, why church, it depends on, on what you're thinking about as to why church. So why church in relation to God? Well, it's to exalt the Lord, to come together for corporate worship and for us to exalt him, to lift him up and see him in his glory clearly so that, that we can then see our own deficiencies clearly, which leads to the second thing. In relation to ourselves, why church? Well, to examine ourselves, that, that we come together for worship and we see God's glory, we see our deficiencies, and also we invite others, we, we join with this community in order to have a group of people to hold us accountable as we live our life. Today, we want to think about it in terms of each other. 
Why do we come to church in relation to each other? Well, today's answer to why church is to edify the body, to see the church built up, to edify each other, to nourish one another. As the Bible says that iron sharpens iron, we join together in a local church to use our gifts to see the church grow and to build each other up and to serve in unity. And that's the passage that we want to read together today. You find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read verses 12 through 27 today. A passage that there are numerous places we could go in Scripture. And I'm not going to read all of those references for time's sake. This will get the idea across. And there are numerous places where we find that our role within the body is to nourish the body. Look at 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12, where Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is... There are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our presentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually you are members of it. So we look at this passage today, I think it's really important to note that as a believer in Christ Jesus, you're not just called to be a member of the body. You, you are a member of the body, right? As, as a believer in, in Jesus Christ, you are a member of the body of Christ, like that church universal that we've talked about. But what's really important and what we want to think about today is what it means to be a functioning member of the body. That's really important, to be a functioning member within the body. So I just want to give you three things that I think are really important as we break this passage down, three things that you should know about you and your role in the body of Christ. Here's the first thing I want you to know about you. Verses 12 and 13 tell us that within the body, you are not insignificant. There is no one that is a part of the body that is insignificant. When we looked at Corinth, and I've explained, I think we were in 2 Corinthians last week, and I talked a little bit about the Corinthian church, but let me give you some context about why Paul is writing what he's writing. Okay? It'll help set some of his argument or some of his picture, his, his, the image that he gives. It'll give us a little context. This section that we're reading is a part of a larger section, 12, 13, and 14. These chapters go together, and in these chapters, Paul's addressing the idea of spiritual gifts, 
The idea that God uh, endows each believer with a gift, that gifts that we can use to, to honor him and to serve the kingdom. And the problem at Corinth was, is remember, they had lots of division and all kind of fighting. And some of the gifts that God gives are very visible gifts. They're very public gifts. People see them uh, often, right? But there were other people in the church at Corinth that had less prominent gifts, and so, as you know, the church at Corinth had all of these divisions. And so, as it turns out, some people who had very prominent gifts kind of looked down their nose at those that had less prominent gifts. And as a result, those who had gifts that maybe were not as, as prominent, they began to feel like their, their gift was just worth nothing, right? There's a great example today. I'll, I'll give you this. For instance, one of the things that you find in, in, in these gifts is this idea of of teaching or even that preaching role, right? That's a visible gift, right? Like to be here. Now, whether you think I'm gifted in that area or not, that's a whole different, that's a whole different uh, can of worms. But I'm here every Sunday in a very visible way in front of you, right? And that's a very public, prominent gift, right? This week, there is someone that has the gift of encouragement that has been very encouraging to numerous people within this body. But you don't see that. You're not privy to the phone call or the text or the card. We're not let in on that, right? And so it, for, use those two things as an example. Within the church at Corinth, those who were in very visible places sometimes would begin to look down on those that maybe you couldn't see their gifts quite as readily. And those who had a gift of encouragement or a similar gift, they began to think less of their self. And Paul's getting at, no, 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 no. There's not some hierarchy within these gifts, or some hierarchy within the body, each part is significant. Look at what he says. Look at how he gets into that, how he backs into that idea. In verses 12 and 13, he, he addresses his theme. The body has, is one. It's, it's one in unity, but it has many members. It's very diverse in the group of people that make up the body. And he's emphasizing this theme, the body is one. It's one, right? Then in verse 13, he points out the fact of why this is such a big deal. Because there's one spirit, and we were all baptized into this one body. And then notice in between the hyphens, he's telling us some of the reasons, some of the places where we could draw distinction. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. If you're slave or you're free, we could add lots of other things here, right? It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman or an adult or a child or rich or poor. There's no distinctions here. Within the body, we're all baptized by one spirit and we were made to drink of one spirit. Therefore, the body does not consist of one member, but, but of many members that have all been brought in an individual way to work together as a body. And because of that, no one is insignificant. If you think about it for a moment, what he's getting at, what he's describing is that old saying that you've probably heard, that idea that the ground is level at the foot of the cross kind of idea, that we are all sinners. There's not one of us that by our merit deserves salvation more than another one, right? So when we read verse 13, what it's describing is salvation. Now, I want to be very clear. It talks about baptism, right? See that in verse 13? We've all been baptized by the same Spirit. Last week, we had these baptisms, and we used that water. That was a water baptism, and it was a picture. It had no saving power, 
It's just a picture that a person has, has died to self and has been buried like Christ and identifies with Christ in that new life as they're raised in him. It's just a public picture, right? But this passage is not talking about that baptism. It's not what it's describing. See, every believer at the moment of conversion, at the moment that they are saved, they are indwelt with the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a gift. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans that if you don't have the Spirit, then you don't have Christ. You're not, you're not, you, don't, you have not received Christ. And so when we think about today, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, you have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit within you. Here's a way to look at it. As a believer, God is directing our life and directing our path. That's something that a, a person who doesn't know Christ does not have. Discernment and the Spirit speaking to them and leading them and guiding them. What happens is, is that you and I as believers are called to be holy as he's holy. We're called to, to think as Christ thinks and, and have a mind like Christ Jesus. But we have this body that is tied to this sinful fallen world. And because of that, we deal with this flesh problem. Our desires aren't godly desires. And we feel those desires within our body. It, it, our, our natural tendency is to want those things. And it's impossible for us in this sinful nature to get into the mind of Christ, to get into the mind of God. So what God does is at the moment of conversion, God puts his mind in us. He takes his Holy Spirit and fills us. You begin to see this in, in Scripture. If you'll notice in the Old Testament, you find lots of times where the Scripture came on a person, right? But then, then there's this turn in the New Testament where the Holy Spirit seems to be in, in the believer, Right on that day of Pentecost, right? Jesus told them in Acts 1.8 that you'll be my witnesses when the Spirit comes on you, right? You, you receive the Spirit. And this idea that that happened at Pentecost, and then as a result, we as believers have experienced this baptism of the Spirit when we are saved, and we have His mind in us. You say, well, David, uh, believers still sin, so what's up with that? Well, as a believer... Part of your sanctification and part of your holiness, that's on you, right? He, he, fill, he gives us his spirit. Now, whether you're filled with his spirit or not is another story, right? You, you control this as to whether you will be yielded to him, whether you will submit to his spirit, whether you allow his spirit to show those gifts in your life, right? But as, 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 what, as what he's getting at is, this baptism that you received, what he's describing is, in verse 13, salvation. You were all baptized into one body, and you were made to drink of one spirit, and this is not insignificant. Do you understand what that means? If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, the fact that you have salvation proves that you are not insignificant. He has died on the cross for you. He has reached down in his grace and mercy into the miry pit of sin and he has redeemed you and brought you out. He has made you alive in Christ. The king of the universe calls you his own. If you're a believer, that is not insignificant. And it doesn't matter who you are in the room. It doesn't matter what gifts you possess. We all come to salvation by way of the cross. There is no other way. There is no other way. And so... For these believers to say, well, 
I'm just a nobody in the body of Christ, in the family of God. I don't have so-and-so's gifts. Hmm. No, you have the gifts that God has given you, and you have them for a purpose. You are not insignificant. And if you go down to verse 18, I believe it is, there's this idea that if you are not insignificant, then the converse of that would be that everyone is significant. And verse 18 says that God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, think of that next statement, as he chose. That means that we don't get to choose our gifts. We don't get to choose that. We don't get to choose the kind of personality that we naturally have. We don't get to to choose the the talents that God has given us. And we don't get to choose those spiritual gifts that God gives us to, to work within the body. But everybody has a role, and every one of those roles is significant within the body. This is so important that we grasp that. Because if God has saved you and he's placed you in the body, he's given you the gifts that he wants you to have, and so you are a valuable, viable part of the body, right? You are not insignificant. This idea that seemingly, you know, if you take a part of the body away, like if you look at some of these things like the verses 15 and 16, like, uh, well, I'm not a hand, and the hand's really important, so I'm not really a part of the body. I'm not a part of the body like the hand is. Or or if if an ear would say, well, I'm not like an eye, and the eye is really important to the body, right? That's what he's getting at there. That's the way that people were, he's talking about eyes and ears and hands, but, but he's talking about the people at the church at Corinth and the way that they felt about their gifts, the way that they felt it was insignificant. And the truth is, is that you, if you take a part of the body away, the body becomes less effective. See, I believe that it's not an accident or a coincidence that this conglomeration of members is in this place today, right now, for this purpose, right? Now, we know that, that sometimes at church, people attend a different church, or they move away, or they, right? Or there's people that are added to the body and those sort of things. But in God's sovereign will, the things that he desires for us to accomplish and the church that he desires for us to be, he's put us together for a purpose. It's not by accident. And so because he's done that, it's in his sovereign will and you are not insignificant. I'll tell you right now, there are some people that that are in this room right now that have been serving in a place in our church and are no longer serving in that place. And it's noticeable. It's noticeable when your gifts are not used in that way. You you may say, well, I'm really an insignificant part of this, and it really doesn't matter if I back away or step. Mm -mm. There are points where it becomes very recognizable, and we become less effective as a body of believers. I would say this to you, too. If you're here today and you don't understand what I'm talking about, about this baptism of the Spirit, if you look at your life and you don't recognize and see what he's describing here as has happened to you, I would encourage you today to surrender your life to Christ. Today could be the day that you experience that baptism of the Spirit. As I said, Romans is very clear. A person that does not have the Spirit doesn't have Christ. And it's only by Christ that we have access to the Father in heaven. And so today, if you don't know him as Lord and Savior, give your life to him. Because it could be that today God would 
would envelop you in this body and integrate you within the, the mission and the activity of this church that we might nourish one another because every person, every member of the body is significant. My friend Terry, some of you remember Terry, preached a message on this passage of Scripture. And Terry was, one of the things I'm so jealous about him was he was so good with titles. He would just come up with these great, very creative titles. And one of the titles that he had for this particular passage was, Everybody in the body is somebody. And that's true. There's not one person that's a member of this body that's insignificant, right? First of all, you're not insignificant. But secondly, you cannot be independent. You cannot be independent because his desire is that we operate as a body. What this passage is telling us is you cannot be out there on your own and be effective as a Christian or be an effective part of the body of believers. Well, I'm a member of the universal body of Christ, but I'll just operate over here on my own. There's no need for me to go to church. There's no need for me to do that. Hmm. We've been called to operate within a body. And it's very difficult to be effective out there on your own. I did not ask permission, but I don't think they'll mind. Y'all remember when Elizabeth Broderick cut her fingers off? Y'all remember that? Elizabeth, Jason and Elizabeth were splitting wood, and she got her fingers in the wood splitter, and it, it lopped off about like that right there, I think, of her fingers. And... Jason put her fingers on, you know, the remnants on some ice, and they went to the hospital. Well, they called me. I remember going up to the hospital. It was a Saturday night. It was Erlanger. It was crowded, people everywhere. And I remember sitting in that waiting room with Jason, and here's what Jason said. He said, I, I tried to, you know, save her fingers and put them in some ice, but they, they didn't care. They didn't care. They was in there doing stuff with her, and those fingers... They're laying on the floor, David. They got knocked off that little table, and they're just laying over there on the floor. And when he kept talking about her fingers, he, kept, he just kept saying that. It was like he was shocked. Was like, they, they were just on the floor. Like they didn't even care. There were fingers just sitting there, you know. And, um, and I remember him, he kept saying that, and it came to me this week as, as I was thinking about that, you know. As a body, if you're a, a Christian who says, I'm going to operate outside of the body, it's like that finger over there on the floor. It doesn't matter how much dexterity is in that finger. If it's not attached to the body, it's not effective. When people say, I, I can be a Christian without going to church, that statement is true, but I would modify it. I would say it is true that you can be a Christian and not go to church. But I also believe that you cannot be an obedient Christian and not go to church. Because it's there. It's there. What he's calling us to do or what this passage is saying to us is that we individually are in Christ. But it is only collectively that we are the body of Christ. This theme runs throughout this entire section. Look with me at this idea. The idea or the theme is there are many members but one body. You see that? Look at it. He says it in verse 12. All the members of the body, though there are many, there is one body. How about 14? 
For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Go down to 20. As it is, there are many parts, yet there's one body. 27. And you are the body of Christ, and individually you are members of it. It it is the theme that runs throughout the text. To be a body of believers, there cannot be a lone ranger Christian out there. Because part of what he's doing is... He is conjoining us with each other. Look down at verse 24. The, when, when we find this, it's the last phrase that I want us to focus on. But God has so composed the body. That middle phrase, I guess. You see that phrase? God has so composed the body. So composed, that word, I looked up this week. And in the King James, if you have it, it's the word tempered. He has tempered the body. And the the Greek word here is the idea of mingling two things together to form one. It's an indistinguishable. Maybe you would think about welding two pieces of metal together that they become one, one thing, right? Or maybe you would think about two elements coming together and becoming one compound, right? Those those things are are, are, are once they're together, they're in, indistinguishable. They have been composed. They are individual things, but now they have been brought together. And that's what he's describing with the body. We are all individuals, but he has brought us together to be one thing. Back to verses 15 and 16. If the foot should say, I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would, that would not make it part of the body. It's still a part of the body, Right? This idea that we cannot be independent and just discount all of the others and walk away. We all have differing gifts. And those differing gifts, God has brought us together to be combined together. Because once we are combined together, we are stronger together than we are individually. See, this is the truth about our Christian walk. There are places in my Christian walk where I'm going to grow more steadily than others. There's going to be things that I just don't I just don't get or they're a problem for me or I get hung up on or whatever else. But those very things where I am weak, you could be very strong. And the fact that we rely on each other and we're accountable to each other helps us to see how we can grow and what is possible. That's the idea of verse 17. There is diversity here. If the whole body were an eye, if we were all the same, Where would the diversity be? Where would the hearing be? Where would it be, right? If you continue to look at this text, as he walks through this whole middle section, because I'm focusing here on, I guess, verses 14 through 24, this big section in the middle, where he's really discussing how we cannot be independent because we are all part of the body. There's this idea here in verses like 22 through 24, around those areas, 21 through 24, that some parts he describes as weaker and then in greater honor. And he talks about unpresentable and presentable parts. And all of that in those verses is just to address and to say, he's, he's using the idea of the body and he's trying to say that even though something seems important just because it's visible does not necessarily mean that it is the only thing that's needed. We can't operate independent of each other. Go back to the example. Go back to the example of of a visible pastor, right? And go back to the idea of other gifts that other people have that's not seen every week on the platform, right? 
these hands, you can see them. I don't, I don't cover them up. I don't wear gloves, right? Now, these parts of my body are very important, right? It would, uh, it, I watched a, a, a guy with, with no arms do some stuff this week on a video. You know, he was showing how he did some, how he did things around his house. And, and I would not, I mean, I, it'd take me a lot of practice to be able to do the stuff he was doing, right? I use these hands. I use them to brush my teeth and, uh, you know what I mean, uh, feed myself, you know. I, I use these hands when I was playing the guitar a while ago and to make monkey motions at you while I'm speaking, right? I use these hands for lots of things. And they're very visible. If you were to cut one of my hands off, it would be very painful. But I'd live. Not one of you has ever seen my heart. The page, I have one. It is there. None of you have seen my heart. Because it's covered up with these ribs and skin and bones, but if you were to take that heart, it would not be very long, and I'd kill over it. wouldn't be very long at all. Visible, but really important. So just getting out, like, some things, the things that we think about and that we see all the time, if you say that thing has more importance, you might not always be right. If you think about what's going on here, I'm sharing from God's word and I'm preaching and it's very visible. But right now there's a whole team of people in that building that you cannot see that are watching our children. That's, that's like the heart of ministry at Center Grove, right? Like we're able to sit here and know that our children are cared for. We're able to sit here, you as a parent may be able to, to sit here and, and listen to the message and, and have the opportunity to grow through God's word because somebody is watching your children over there. None of us may see it, but as I said before, there was somebody this week that sent a text or a call or a card, and you may have gotten that, and none of us may know it, but to the person that received it, they were uplifted and they were helped and they benefited from that encouragement, and that's like what the heart is of Center Grove. Like that's the heart of ministry here, right? Think for just a minute about this, that there are numerous people who have spent hours preparing meals and coming together and getting ready for events and who work on things and repair things and, and make improvements and additions and do all those things. And none of those things do we see on the platform on Sunday morning, but it's what keeps Center Grove going. It, it's, it's, it's not one person. It's, it's not one person. We are a body, and therefore we cannot be independent of each other because right now, simultaneously, I cannot be here and watch your children at the same time and prepare a meal if we were going to eat one after church, right? Because we cannot be independent of each other, we must be dependent on each other and work together for the cause of Christ. This is the model in which he has called us to. There is diversity here. And diversity, this, the, the, the idea that we are to have unity in the body. There's one body. Warren Wiersbe talks about this a lot, that, that unity does not mean uniformity. And that diversity does not mean inferiority, right? That, that it is helped. We are built because of this idea in Christ. We need each other. And that's the image. We cannot be independent 
Christ is the head and we are the functioning members of the body. And like we talked about before, you cannot do it alone. Just like Pistol Pete, you cannot do it alone. Even if you have all of the members composed, but some of them are not functioning. Karen, I went to see Lindsay this week. And as I was sitting there talking to her at one point, you know, uh, Lindsay has legs. But while we were sitting there, we were just talking about whatever. And she said, I really want that leg to move. I really want to move it over there. But I, it, the signals, they're just not going, right? They're just not going. And, and we, we talked about how aggravating that is and all that sort of stuff. But, like, that, that's kind of the idea. Just because we have a whole body that is composed, if we don't have all functioning members, there's a problem. There's a problem. We cannot be independent of each other. Numerous commentators that I read this week had some great things, and I wanted to share some of those with you about this idea of independence. Pulpit commentary says this, Christians are not independent of each other, and they should not seek to be so. We are not the body of Christ individually, but we are collectively, and we are not set to stand alone but with others. We can help others and be helped ourselves. Another's work may be needful for the success of ours and ours for the success of another's. This is John Chrysostom, and this is a beautiful picture. Listen to this. He says, when a thorn enters the heel, the whole body feels it and is concerned. The back bends, the belly and thighs contract themselves. The hands come forward and draw out the thorn. The head stoops. The eyes regard the affected member with intense gaze. The whole body is affected. And so the whole body, if, if the body wants to remove that thorn, it's not just up to the foot alone, right? The whole body must work together in order to get that thorn out of the foot. This is the idea. The, the task that we have been called to, to reach this world for Christ, we cannot do alone. And so we cannot operate independently. You're not insignificant and you cannot be independent the last thing I would tell you is you should not be indifferent. You should not be indifferent. Because we are all together and we're all working together and we are not in, we are dependent. The contrast of that is if you're not independent, you're dependent on each other. And in the last few verses of this text, starting in about verse 25, there are these phrases that he uses over and over again that talk about the fact that we are intimately connected as a body. Do you see that? Look at verse 25. There's no division in the body so that the members may have the same care for one another. You can't be indifferent. Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, then all rejoice together. These things are true because we are connected. It's very interesting I've asked you every week, what are we doing at Center Grove? We're growing together. And here's the thing about that. If you think about us growing together, there are lots of books, lots of conferences about what it is to grow as a believer in Christ Jesus. There's lots of those. You can find those. You can find lots of books on Christian growth. There might even be a section, you know, when there used to be like Christian bookstores. There might even be a whole section 
of books that are labeled Christian growth books. But one of the things that's very difficult to find is to find a book, like if I had time to write one, this would be a great premise, to write a book that talks about how we grow and the church's role in that growth. You don't find that book. You'll find those messages. I, wanna, I don't want to steal thunder for next week, but the idea is, is that when we're on our own, we can come up with lots of things, right? And can the Spirit grow us individually? Yeah, yeah. But the ideal and the model that we find in Scripture is, is that we are within the body of believers. Now, if we were to think about, if you're an active member within a church and you do devotions individually and all of those things, I think it would be interesting to note how much of our percentage of growth comes from individual study and how much of our growth comes from being a part of a body of believers. I don't know the answer to that. I have no stats for that. But it's an interesting thing to think about, right? And when we think about our individual growth, I would say that it's not just up to us. Like, yeah, we should be growing as individual Christians. And I think we should be strengthening individually so that we can work together better together. Like when you go to the gym and you focus on just one body part, right? You're just working out your arms that day. Or it's just leg day. You're just doing that one thing. But the idea is, even though you're focusing and strengthening just that one part individually, the idea is that all of it would work together better when it's, when it's all working for the same purpose and the same cause, this is true for us too. The church is part of the designed system for Christian growth. The role play, I mean, the church plays a role in that. That's why it's so important that we're a functioning member of the local church because we can't be indifferent to each other, but we also can't be indifferent to the role that the church plays in our growth. Mark Dever in Nine Marks of a Healthy Church says this, that joining a church increases our sense of ownership in the work of the church, of its community, of its budget, of its goals. We move, when we become a functioning member of the church, we move from being pampered consumers to becoming joyous proprietors. Isn't that a great statement? We've got a part in that. We're... We, we identify with that. We take ownership of that. And so we're interested in its growth and in its activity and in its ministry. You, as a believer in Christ Jesus, are not insignificant. And you cannot be independent out there on your own. And you should not be indifferent to each other. We are called to bear one another's burdens and to be concerned about each other's growth and and to be there to lift one another up and to encourage one another. And he's using all of us for that purpose, to nourish one another. Even if you look to the passage that commands us together on Sunday morning, that passage in Hebrews um, 10 and 24 and 25, the verse revolves around each other. Listen to the passage. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Let's don't neglect meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another, and even more, as you see the day of his coming drawing near. Why do we gather? To encourage and to nourish and to edify the body to lift it up. 
because we are not on our own in this. I want to read this little story. I thought it was a good way to finish and close today. Because I love the unity that we have as a church. I think we do have a unity as a church. If you don't, I'll, I'll introduce you to some churches where you might change your mind. But I think this is a good picture of what it should be. What it often is versus what it should be. Someone has imagined the carpenter's tools all holding a meeting. The hammer presided over the meeting, but several of the tools suggested that the hammer leave because he was too noisy. The hammer said, well, if I've got to leave this shop, the plane needs to leave too. He never does any work of any depth. He only just scratches the surface. Well, the plane was very quick to shift the blame. Well, what about the ruler? He's always measuring folks like he's the only one that's right. The ruler shifted the blame again. Well, at least I'm not like sandpaper over there rubbing everybody the wrong way all the time. <laughs> In the midst of all of that arguing, the carpenter of Nazareth comes into the shop. And he puts on his apron and he walks over to the bench and he begins to work. And he uses the hammer and the plane and the ruler and the sandpaper and he works, finishing the job. When it was over with, when the carpenter's work was finished, the carpenter had fashioned a pulpit from which to proclaim the word of God. The carpenter turned off the lights and left the shop. And all of the tools bowed their heads in shame and looked at the ground. And it was the Saul that spoke up and said, Well, it seems the carpenter can use all of us. So maybe we should work together as he chooses to use us. That's a picture of what this is. That's a picture of what this is. It's not about what you can do individually. You're not insignificant. You're not independent. So you can't be indifferent. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to find more resources to help you grow in your walk with Christ, check out our website at rootedandresolved.org.